Mm-hmm. Well, first, thanks for thanks for sitting down with us. This is our, our first time really sitting down with someone on video. Mm-hmm. But you know, everyone, everywhere I go, people always ask me about my relationship with you, and mm-hmm. the boys and girls, because all the stuff that you do in the community. So I figured, let's let's put this on video. No doubt. And let's let's let people hear from you, your perspective on things, and life, and your strategies, and all the stuff you and I talk about offline. Mm-hmm. Let's let people just hear from you, from your from your voice. From I your love voice. it. I love it. So let's let me tell you one of the things I hear all the time is, like, you know, man, why is Mike going to Flint, Michigan, and why is he going to Oklahoma? Why is he in Milwaukee? Why is he going helping Tony Robinson? Why mm-hmm. is he there with Janelle? Meeting with the police with Janelle. That's not a boys and girls club role. That's right. not his role. Stay in your lane. Like mm-hmm. that's not what you do. Mm-hmm. Like what do you say to people who say stuff like that? <laughs> I don't think uh, leadership should ever be uh, defined by geography, right? So in our mission statement, we said that we would serve all kids. So whether it's a young person in Chicago, Ferguson, Flint, uh, Memphis, if there's an area where we can lead and provide leadership, we're going to do that. My board has supported that. This community has supported that. Uh, our donors have supported that. And so whether it's Flint, uh, the mayor in uh, Flint call or other African-Americans or Latino leaders or uh, communities of color or poor white kids need help in another part of the country and if we're in a position to help, it's a ministry. Why not? So, you know, a lot of times you hear a lot of people hating on our uh, coming down leaders were just showing up places. So are, are people calling you to Ferguson? Are they calling you? Or you just see this some disaster somewhere and you just say, I'm just going to show up. Yeah. Like, how, how did that happen? I've only showed up to one place without being called on. And that was in uh, Flint, Michigan. And so in Ferguson, it was the mayor and it was the president of Urban League that called on me in the Tony Robinson situation. Uh, it was a friend of Tony Robinson's mother who has called on me when there's been shootings in Madison's. It was either the families or other community leaders who have called on me and our organization to support it. Now, Flint was different. Um, I happened to be in Atlanta at the time, saw the story on CNN and just couldn't believe that this was happening in our country. So we took 30,000 gallons of water uh, to Flint, Michigan. This community responded to uh, our call to action. There's a sister by the name of Miss Cupcake. She uh, worked with me to be able to do that. And we went down there, we met with the city council. They gave us proclamations. We actually walked door to door passing out water. And people even from Flint was like, you all don't understand this community. You don't wanna go knocking on door to door. People were crying, people were hugging us. The first couple that we met was two gentlemen who was walking a mile and a half a day to get water. And we gave them about 100 gallons of water. So I'm proud that our community support efforts like that. And I think, unfortunately, when you do that, sometimes the criticism comes. So I want, I want to kind of divide this because I think the Tony Robinson and the Janelle thing are kind of separate issues, yeah. right? But when you're traveling to you know, places, one, what does your board think about that? Right? Yeah. Because that's how do they how do they say that works for them? Yeah. And are people the resources that you get like do people criticize you for taking resources from Dane County and kind mm-hmm. of take them to other places? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How does that work? So here's what I would say: we're one of the fastest growing boys and girls clubs in the country. So uh, we have a superb board, a support, a superb leadership team. 
And our board supports, it's in our mission statement to be able to do that. We, if we can lead in another part of the country and help another Boys and Girls Club or another community, and if our community support that, we'll do it. In every last one of those situ- situations, our community raised money. Michael Brown's family, $20,000 plus scholarships for his siblings to go to college. We went to Joplin, Missouri, $5,000, five semi-truckloads full of supplies to support families in that community. And the story just goes on and on and on. Now, if we put a call of action out and the community don't respond and don't give, we don't go. And so uh, I've never done it at the expense of Boys and Girls Clubs. It's like a restricted gift. If a donor give you a restricted gift and say, hey, I want $10,000 to go towards my pajamas for 10,000 kids, you have to go buy pajamas for 10,000 kids. So if a donor give us $10,000 to provide relief efforts in Joplin, Missouri, we're gonna honor that support. Where does that come from in you? I mean, that's different, right? Anyone, I was gonna say anyone, mm-hmm. you have a unique skill set. But anyone going to Oklahoma to say, I'm gonna try to raise money, et cetera. But I don't know if more people even think about they should go try to go to Oklahoma or Ferguson mm-hmm. or Madison. What, what is it in you that mm-hmm. feels like there's some, like something's pushing you, right? Mm-hmm. What is driving you to say, hey, I need to go help these people or these kids or these folks in other areas? Yeah. Where does that come from? I see it, um, Henry, as, a, as a, um, a helping hand, right? So I grew up in the projects in Chicago, and there was people who came along my path who gave me a helping hand. And so when you see these incidents happen, whether it's in our backyard or within the state or outside the state, I see Boys and Girls Club as a ministry, and if the if if you're called to go somewhere else to minister and to lead and to lead a helping hand, lend a helping hand, you gotta go. And then if people follow you, you know you're doing uh, the right thing. And sometimes it does create challenges in your organization because when you're called upon, you're stretching your staff, you're stretching your resources. But I will tell you, every year that I've been here, uh, our human capital has grown, our impact has grown, the number of kids we serve have grown, our operating budget has grown, and there's 4,000 boys and girls clubs in the United States, and we're one of the top performers. Briefly, tell us how much money we fundraised. Yeah, I think we gotta think think in abundance. So between grants, contracts, service fees, individual contributions over $20 million. Wow, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Let's come back to the Tony Robinson and Janelle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the things uh, I remember when the Tony Robinson shooting happened, I remember seeing you on TV um, in front of the cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also remember some of the things that people were like, why were certain people there in front of the cameras? Mm-hmm. And I also remember when the Janelle thing happened. Yeah. Um, and that young lady got beat up pretty bad. And I remember that you were one of the few people down there, and you actually met with the chief, uh, Chief Cobalt. Yeah. That again is not a boys and girls club yeah. call. So how did you did you how did you just showed up, or how did that how did that That's how did question. Michael Johnson get involved in that? That's a great question. I think people saw the work that we had did in uh, Ferguson. Um, so when I was invited to Ferguson, uh, I spoke at a couple of churches. Uh, I was invited to speak on, at a church with Reverend Al Sharpton 
Jesse Jackson, Marlon Dekeen III. So I think that when that happened here, I had already started meeting with the United Ways of the other world, and uh, there was a task force put together of people of color and law enforcement officials. And I had tweeted about that a little bit. So the night of, uh, I believe it was March or May, May 6th was the night that Tony Robinson was killed and I'll never forget it. Um, I had just finished helping Colleen raise, I think, forty dollars or $50,000 uh, for one city. I spoke at that event. I was feeling really, really good. That was at Cuna, right? That was at Cuna Mutual. So I was feeling really good that night. And so I get ready to go home and I'm sitting in my basement ready to eat. And I get a phone call from Malin Mitchell, who's the president of Local 311. So he had called me and said, hey, Michael, that was an officer-involved shooting. And my response was, hey, Malin, what does that have to do with me? And he said the officer was white and the young man was African-American. So uh, I immediately put my clothes on because I knew uh, that that was going to be a major issue for this city. On my way uh, to the crime scene, I get a text from uh, a Facebook uh, message from uh, a woman by the name of Sharon Kilroy, who was friends with Tony Robinson's mother. So um, she asked me if I would come over and to just meet with the family and uh, come and be there for some support. So um, in between that, I get a phone call from uh, Chief Koval. I go over uh, to his office and I pretty much had shared with the chief that the decisions that he, were, he was about to make over the next 24 hours was gonna be very, very critical for the city. So we met for about 20 minutes. Uh, I left. As I was leave, leaving his office, I ran into the mayor. So I told the mayor, I said, you should jump in, in my car. And the young man that was killed tonight, I'm going to meet with his family. So I woke up uh, to Tony's uh, mother's house. Didn't know anybody there. Saw a bunch of young men sitting outside, standing up. And uh, some were crying, some was hurt. Some were angry, rightfully so. And I, as I walked in, I saw uh, Tony Robinson's mother in the basement. Uh, I hugged her and I pretty much said, if there's anything I can do, let me know. So she shows me this picture of her son and uh, she asked if I would send it out on Twitter or Facebook. So I take a picture with my phone and I pretty much asked her what was her son's name. And uh, I, I think I put it on Facebook. Um, that night, I left, went back to meet with Chief Koval, and I encouraged him to come back. Oh, the mayor was there, and we talked. She wanted her son to see um, a medical examiner, and uh, so the mayor helped with that that night. And uh, it was a very challenging night, so I called Anthony Cooper from Nehemiah. Uh, I asked Chief Koval to take off his vest, to take off his gun. Uh, went to the police office, office, he jumped in the back of my car, and I said, you should go over there and meet with his family. Uh, you should apologize uh, that, uh, and even if he didn't have all the facts, here's a grieving mother who just lost her son. And it's up to you on how you set the tone for this city. So uh, Andrea didn't want to meet with him that night, but Tony Robinson's, uh, grandmother and grandfather met with him uh, in the middle of the street at 2 o'clock in the morning. 
and they gave him some words and he listened, he apologized. Uh, we prayed together that night. That following morning, I had remembered when I was at Ferguson, there was a therapist that was on a panel with me. And she said, anytime there's a crisis in your community, you need to allow people to vent because it's therapeutic. So that next morning, I called Pastor G and asked him if we can utilize his church. Uh, about 200 people came out and spoke and they vented. And I do believe that was therapeutic. Um, the very next day, we had the candlelight visual and uh, the call of, I worked with um, the city, young gifted and black, elected officials, the school superintendent, the mayor's office, and we had a citywide candlelight visual and we asked Tony Robinson's friends to come out, including law enforcement officials, and about a thousand people came out uh, that night. And so uh, I had committed at the time that we would raise money to bury uh, uh, Tony Robinson. We set up a GoFundMe page for the family. We raised about, I think about 20 some thousand dollars. And, uh, and the criticism came, it came from everywhere. I had police unions uh, from across the country emailing uh, my office. People were sending letters to my board. They criticized the police. Were criti the police were being critical of me because they thought we were being anti-police for helping to raise money for this family. But then I was also criticized from leaders in our community because I was meeting with the police chief and I had met with the with the governor. And I think any time that you try to be a bridge builder and try to bring people together, the criticism is going to happen. And so people criticized me. But at the end of the day, uh, I've tr I, tr I have tried to lead by being a bridge builder. I have tried to support families who have needed support at a time of crisis. And in every case, every case in this community, when there's been a crisis, somebody has called upon us to help. And sometimes we may say no, but many times we find a way to try to help. Uh, let's go to Janelle, yeah. because uh, I, I remember that night yesterday. Uh, there was there was a, when that young lady got um, got beat up by the yeah. police officer. I remember that you were out out um, down by um, the municipal building, and you and Maurice Cheeks, I think it was yeah. Shiva yeah. and uh, Andre Johnson, and yeah. people went and met with uh, the chief. Yeah. Again, so the question comes. Okay, here Michael Johnson goes again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go again. Yeah. Michael is out here talking. He's out in front of the press. When something happens, Michael just has to make sure he's in the room. And I also know that one, I want to talk about what happened with the conversation in the room because I know some people think what some things were said and not said. Right. So one, why did you go down for the Janelle situation? Yeah, yeah. And then two, the conversation that you had with the Chief Koval. Uh, I think that's really important to clarify. Why absolutely, that absolutely. Right. Thanks for asking that question. So I was actually at the Goodman Community Center. I had just finished helping mom. Uh, uh, they had a fundraiser that night. I had helped them raise $5,000 to send uh, to support one of their students to go to college. So I'm in the parking lot, and I just happened to be talking to Tony Robinson's mother. It was myself, uh, Minister Khalif, and I get, my phone started blowing up. So I had ignored it because I was trying to have this conversation with Tony's mother. And I hadn't seen her in about a month or so. 
So uh, Anthony Cooper had called me like four times and he was like, Mike, you have to watch this video. And he literally texted that to me. So I watched it and uh, I, was like, I was like, wow. So he said, hey, I'm actually here with, uh, with one of Janelle's best friends. And I think somebody, I think it was her sister. And it was two other girls. He said, Mike, can you come right away? And to be honest with you, I had a long day. I think we had a board meeting that morning. Uh, I had been up since like 6.30. I was ready to go home. So I said, okay, let me stop by and see what happened. So the family had requested me through Anthony Cooper. I get down there and they wanted some advice from me. So I'm on the corner and I said, "Is it? what can I do to help you? And she said, do you know the police chief? We, we really want to have a conversation with the police chief and we want her uh, we don't want her sitting in a, in a jail. She's probably hurt, we're concerned. So I called Chief Covo, he takes a meeting with me, literally immediately. So he said, Mike, give me time to uh, get to the office. So uh, by then, people started coming, Freedom Inc., elected officials, Young Gifted in Black. And so the family asked, they said, can you help us deal with the press? Can you kind of serve as a spokesperson while we're in that meeting with Chief Covo? So we go, I said, what do you want me to uh, relay to him? And they were like, we want her free. And, uh, and I said, you know, by the time we come out of this office, I said, it's probably gonna be a bunch of press. So my advice is one of you all should be the spokesperson, talk about who she is, talk about where she worked and tell her story. So we get into this meeting with Kovo. It was a state representative a couple of alders, the family, myself, Anthony Cooper, uh, Andre Johnson. So uh, I asked Chief Cove if he could debrief us on what happened. Uh, and uh, I actually requested right there on the spot if she could be released. And so he said, Maya, I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna look into this. Here's what happened based on all the reports that we've gotten. And we were concerned about her physical health. So that night I asked him if he would give me something in writing. I wanted to know if a physician had seen her, if she was, uh, if she was okay. And then I think we ended up uh, coordinating. I think Reverend Mitchell went to go see her. I got in writing for him that night that, uh, that a medical team did take a look at her. So while we were in the meeting, uh, Andre Johnson from uh, uh, the county had talked about this restorative justice program. I had never heard of it, but I was like, hey, if that gets her out of jail, uh, we want her out of jail in the next couple of days and whatever it takes to be able to do that, we'll do that. So Chief told me at that time that with that particular program, he had to get buy-in from the union, the police officers, the people at the mall, and he pretty much briefed me along the way that he was going uh, down that path, but he also said he had to get the district attorney to buy into that. So the family wanted her out. Uh, they supported that, and I wanted to help advocate for that, and that's what we did. Uh, when she got out, uh, I wanted to make sure that other leaders were supporting her. Uh, I know there was people who helped with uh, medical support, financial support, uh, legal support, and that was pretty much my role. Um, even that night, I chose to, at first I stood behind the cameras, and then I think because of who I am and because I facilitated the meeting, some of the press started asking me questions, 
And I just pretty much gave a run through a run through on what had happened that night with Chief Coble. And so tell me, what were some of the criticisms that you heard about what you supposedly said in that meeting? Yeah, so there were people like, oh, it was Michael Johnson who recommended uh, the restorative justice program for her. I didn't even know what it was until I got into that meeting. And I, th I think what it is, as I learned this community, Henry, I'm not from here, right? I'm a big black guy that's, uh, that's vocal, that's not afraid to be uncomfortable, and sometimes that pisses people off. But you know what? I don't care. Uh, sometimes it's white people who get mad at me. Sometimes it's my people who get mad at me. But I'm always going to follow my heart. I'm always going to do what I think is the right thing for kids and families in this community. And if people take shots at me, let it be. Love me or hate me, this is who I am. So it comes up to a first question. I mean, I say this over and over, time and time again. There's two people that I get the most hate about associating with in the city. It's you and Brandy Grayson. Mm -hmm. I catch more heat <laughs> and I defend you two more than I do anyone else mm -hmm. across the city. Both doing two, two different things, very uniquely different. How do you, one, it's, one, you get a lot of hate, right? Mm -hmm. And you tend to respond to a lot of the hate. Yeah, right? yeah. And so your supporters would be like, Mike, why, why even respond to this stuff? Yeah. Um, and your detractors would be like, well, why are you trying to do everything, mm -hmm. right? You're always in the media, yeah. right? You're, you're always on TV. You're always running around. You're fundraising all this money. It's all about Michael Johnson. No, it's all about the boys and girls for kids. Right. And that's how you raise $20 million. You stay relevant. You respond to issues in the community. And as a result, you get investments made to support the community that you're responsible for. So there's a, so there's a method to the madness you're saying. So you're not just in the press or always posting stuff on Facebook. I, I literally wake up in the morning. I, I go first go to Mass 365, which everyone should do that first. Yeah. Right? And then I go to your, like, I go to your stuff to see what you're doing. So. You're saying there's a method, there's a reason that you're doing this? Or, it it's, is. Just, or it's just you want attention? No, it, it, it's fundraising one-on-one. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm responsible for the lives of 50-some hundred kids, uh, almost 200 employees, and we have a big, bold plan for this community, and it's my responsibility to champion that plan, to help families who need support in this community, and I'm not going to apologize for it. And so... There's a difference between boasting and being passionate. I'm passionate about this work. I enjoy this work. I get up every day excited about coming to work. And I like telling the story of Boys and Girls Clubs. And I'm not going to apologize to no one for doing that. To no one. Why? Okay, I, I get that. Yeah. But why respond? I mean, you get... You I'll get, the criticism. Why, I mean, why, why respond to it? I mean, because, you know, like I, you and I have talked many yeah. times... And political one-on-one, -on -one, they tell you, politics. I know, I know. Don't, if you're President Obama, you don't respond to someone else. Yeah. Why, why even do it? Why even feed into that negativity? So what is it in this? I think it's that Chicago in you, right? That yeah, Chicago yeah. that you know, I want to get back. But what's the, why do you respond? I'm growing. And here's what I would say. I'm not perfect. This community also showed me a lot of love. I mean, I mean the move to a city like this, and to be named by Madison 365, one of the most influential African-Americans in the state, 
Six years ago, I didn't know one person in Madison. And so I get shown a lot of love, but when people show you love, and when you're leading and you're making people uncomfortable, you're gonna have people that's gonna say negative things about you. Now, sometimes people who advise me, Mike, don't respond to that crap. And sometimes I don't. But when it's another influential leader in this community that call me a coon or Uncle Tom, I'm gonna come back at them. You punch me, that's I'm gonna punch back. That's sad. And, and here's what I would say. People don't know, some people know my background. I grew up in some of the toughest public housing developments in the country. I'm 41 years old. I lived in the projects for 24 years on the west side of Chicago. I stayed in Cabrini Green. I stayed in the village, in the Abla homes. It gets no tougher than that. Most of my family's still in poverty. I'm the first person in my family to graduate and, a co and get a college degree. So I'm gonna grind. I'm gonna work hard for these kids because I want them to get degrees. I want them to be successful. And at the end of the day, I don't want these kids shortchanged. And that's why it's my responsibility to go out with my board and my team and our staff to deliver on the promise, to raise resources for them, and to also help tell their story. So I'm gonna post every day. I'm gonna tweet every day. I'm gonna work with the press. I'm gonna work with black people, white people. I'm gonna work with community activists. I'm gonna work with police. But at the same time, don't get it twisted. You take resources away from my kids. You, you, you try to hurt my kids. Ask the mayor, ask the governor, ask other community leaders. I would throw down with some of the best of them. You can even hear it in your voice of passing that you, you elevated your voice a little bit. And I and give you credit, I, I think people should want to look. You said earlier that you're not from Madison. Yeah. And you have made such a huge impact on Madison. To the point, I walk around in Madison and people call me Michael Johnson. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a, uh, I, a compliment I, I, <laughs> a Big brother. A big brother. <laughs> no big brother. We both laugh. Same, same personalities. But... I think it's a testament to all the stuff that you've done that people actually know you to that yeah. impact. The, the question I would have for you though is, at some point, the negativity has to wear on you, mm -hmm. right? You you have to have other opportunities other places. Mm -hmm. You have to have opportunity. People might want to come, have you come up and play. I mean, you, you've made this, this Boys and Girls Club. You've taken it from here to here, just by straight numbers. Yeah. Why why even stick around here in Madison and deal with this negativity? I mean, why, why do it? My work is not done. Uh, I still have that fire uh, lit. Uh, we got a big agenda. And honestly, I want to stay here. Uh, I would say another five years before I feel like we've accomplished what we set out in our agenda. And uh, this chapter in my life is still incomplete. And uh, money won't lure me. Uh, I turned down almost a half a million dollar job. Uh, at a national oral healthcare company to take this job. I've been offered national uh, roles in other organizations, and I choose to stay here because of the support that we get. I enjoy being here, so there's no reason for me to leave right now. It's interesting because you said money is not a big issue for you. So I know you go out and speak. Every time I'm texting you somewhere, you speak in, you're in Cleveland somewhere, yeah. you're always speaking. You know, I, I think, are you doing that for money? Like, what, what are you going on speaking about? Yeah, I became a millionaire speaking Woo! about this. 
Now, you know what it is, Henry? It's another opportunity for me to raise money for the Boys and Girls Club kids. So sometimes I get asked to speak at commencement ceremonies. I get asked to speak at different banquets, conferences. And here's what I would tell them. Make a donation to Boys and Girls Club. You cover all of my expenses. I'm going to charge you $400 an hour. From the time I get on that plane, write a check to Boys and Girls Club, and I'm all in. And so whether it's a conference in Las Vegas or the University of Michigan or the International Rotary Club, uh, I always ask those folks to donate to the Boys and Girls Clubs because it's the right thing to do. And if there's a, another, if there's a, a, a methodology that I can utilize my talent to help kids, we do it. And we raised all kind of money. You look at the uh, scissors that Fiskar sells. We've done cause marketing. So every time you buy a pair of scissors from Fiskars, we get a piece of that. When you uh, uh, look at uh, Lunchables through Oscar Mayer, we get a piece of that. We negotiate that right in this office. You think about uh, Van Houten Pickles, who sell millions of pickles every year. Boys and Girls Club logo is on there. We get a piece of that. And so uh, I'm learning, I'm growing, and if there's an opportunity for somebody to fly me to a city to speak up on an issue, and if they're going to cover my expenses and make a donation to Boys and Girls Club, I'm always in and out. Got it. Yeah. So let me, another thing I hear concerns is, you know, someone who grew up on the north side of Madison. Mm-hmm. I used to work at Bureau Court Community Center. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Bureau Court. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's place like East Side Community Center. There's, all, there's so many different nonprofits that are doing really wonderful work in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them would have concerns that someone like you, mm-hmm. Michael, coming in from, with this brand, Boys and Girls Club, with your skills, is just taking up all the money, mm-hmm. right? What would you say to those organizations that are saying, hey, look, Boys and Girls Club is just taking up all the money. We're doing good work over here to help. Yeah. Step your game up. It's not that's a myth. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, this is a very giving community. In America, almost uh, four hundred billion dollars was given to uh, about a million nonprofits last year. Uh, four out of five philanthropic dollars come from individuals. So if you're sitting in your office all day hoping that resources are gonna come, it ain't gonna happen. My day starts at six thirty most mornings. And I'm in the house by 10.30 p.m. most days. So it's grinding. It's meeting with people. It's having relationships with, uh, with, uh, with donors. And that's what it's all about. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of organizations doing good work. A lot of community centers that do good work. And some people may say, well, you're the, I wouldn't say we're the 800-pound gorilla, but we're probably the 150-pound gorilla, right? So we're growing. And what I would say is that when I took over Boys and Girls Clubs, we were struggling financially. We didn't have uh, a COO, uh, a program chief. We didn't have a finance person. I was the finance person, the HR person, the chief cleaning person. We had to create those positions. And then we looked at efficiency to figure out a way to repurpose dollars, to uh, raise more money to support the work that we do. as a result, we built a strategic plan. A lot of community uh, centers and nonprofits don't have a real strategic plan that they're living. And so we got our board engaged, we got our staff engaged, we got the community engaged, 
I remember when we came out with that $15 million plan, people laughed at us and said, there's no way you're going to get 90% of low-income kids to graduate from high school and go on to college. People didn't think it was possible. People said, there's no way you'll find 500 jobs for teenagers. There's no way you'll put a community center and a fitness center and uh, get an office like this for a dollar a year. All of that, all of it was in a plan that we created 12 years ago, and we keep that plan alive, alive because that's our blueprint. That's our roadmap for these kids. And sometimes you gotta do crazy things to raise money. That's why I've jumped through burning buildings, slept outside for three or four days, swam in lakes, whatever it takes to support our kids, we gotta go all out. And we gotta think bold, we have to raise the bar for them. And sometimes we gotta do non-traditional things to get results for our kids. Let's say if you're you're king for a day, right? King for a year or whatever. And someone says, okay, Mike, we want you to help us solve so many different issues that we have in our city, equity, gap, all those things. And we want you to help these other nonprofits mm -hmm. to rev up and what Judge said, step up. Yeah. This is outside your Boys and Girls Club, but just with your expertise, I'm just curious what game plan, if you could drop a game plan for the city to help other nonprofits, mm -hmm. what would that be? So I think it's uh, partnerships, right? So uh, our partnership with the school district is a critical partnership. So a lot of people don't know we have almost 100 paid tutors in classrooms during the school day. So I think partnerships are critical, strategic planning is critical. Board development is critical. My board raises about 10% of my operating budget. So if you don't have an engaged board, I have almost 100 bosses. So between my board and then the committees that come underneath that board, I report to about 100 people, 100 different personalities. And you have to know how to navigate through those relationships and build an infrastructure to inspire people to support your cause. If you're coming to work all day, you're sitting in your office and you just tired, we have to earn the right to sit in these chairs every day. So if you're just if you're just coasting, if you're not getting things done for young people, you're actually doing a disservice uh, to them. So my advice would be when you look at the disparities that exist, mass incarceration, uh, the uh, academic achievement gap. Uh, the unemployment rates in this city. We need a citywide plan that brings the business community, the philanthropic community, the nonprofit community, and it might take a referendum or something like that. Because what we're doing, we we're piecemealing the twenty-five thousand there, fifty thousand dollars there. You want to solve these issues, you have to put resources behind them. One of the reasons why Avid Tops is doing so well is we raise almost $2 million a year for that program. We put, we put 100 tutors inside the schools, in classrooms with kids. We have full-time staff that's supporting them. And as a result, uh, a large percentage of my kids are graduating from high school and going to college. 337 kids go to 25 schools, 20, go, to, go to 61 schools in 25 states across the United States. These are low-income, Kids of color, imagine if we didn't raise that $2 million, what would happen to these young people? So we got to know the resource development piece of it, and we got to have a plan. And a lot of that 
that's the, 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 the recipe that's missing from the playbook of a lot of our nonprofits. And, you know, I, I hear this like we have our 6,000 nonprofits in Dane County, and you know, we, we're still doing so bad when it comes to certain parts of our community. I, I like what you're saying about having a game plan. The question is, yeah. uh, who, if you could, again, you're king for the day, who's at that table with that game plan? Yeah. Who's, who's helping put that plan together? Because yeah. you think funders have to know how to be a part of that, right? Because yeah. I think kind of funders sometimes kind of go after the shiny toy yeah. and certain things that's being effective in our community. Yeah. So what what do you, what who would be at that table to kind of create that plan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think we got all the data, right? There's a lot of efficiency. So my first year at the club, we were able to identify about $150,000 in uh, costs that we were able to repurpose. I actually think there's a lot of nonprofits that need to be acquired, need to be repurposed, need to merge with others to create efficiency. We leave a lot of money on the table, right? There's a lot of federal dollars that we do not go after because we don't have enough development people to go out there and to make resources happen for families in our community. Just like in a business. In a business you have, uh, in most businesses, you have a sales team, a HR team, a training team, this team and that team. Our nonprofits, most don't have a sufficient infrastructure for a sales team. They go out there to bring in resources, don't have a training team, don't have a retention plan to keep talent. And because we can't raise resources, we lose people. And that's that's the nature of the space that we um, that we uh, that we occupy, and we gotta begin to change that. So I've had some of those challenges. But here's what I this is what I feel good about my team. I think Boys and Girls Clubs has the most diverse staff in Dane County. You walk in my office, you see black, white, you see young, you see old, you see Filipino, you see straight, you see gay, you see Christian, you see Muslim. It's like the Rainbow Coalition. And when you have a diverse workforce, you have a, a diversity of thought, a diversity of perspective, and it's reflective of the community that, um, that you serve. And so I think that in Madison, we are large enough, but small enough, that we can change some of these issues that we see. But sometimes our egos get in the way. Sometimes we become territorial. Sometimes we sling mud. Sometimes uh, we call each other out of our names, and that prevents progress from taking forward. Listen, I want to switch subject a little bit here, uh, because one thing, just being a mass my whole life, I've seen um, black leaders come through the city who've been in work like you doing nonprofit work or just really engaging the community. People like Lamar Billups, Anthony mm -hmm. Brown, Steve Brung, and even Colleen when he's at Durban League, who their health took a toll, mm -hmm. the stress, yeah. balancing family. Yeah. How do you, I mean, you are one of the busiest, like the busiest people I know. I mean, yeah. MJ, you are always moving, always fundraising, doing stuff. How do you want to take care of your health? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Not just physical, mental, spiritual yeah. health. And at the same time, you got a wonderful family. Yeah, and, no and, and balancing yeah. and spending that time with your family. How do you balance those things out? Because I've seen it with a lot of black leaders before 
have lost some of those things yeah. because they're just trying to help the community. No doubt, no doubt. It's, it's a balance, and I, I struggled with it. So I've gained about 70 pounds since I've taken this job. Um, my wife has done a really good job making sure that uh, when it's family time, it's family time. And so she helps to keep me balanced. I'm learning to take more vacations with my family. And at the end of the day, my kids are getting older. I have a 12-year-old, a 5-year-old, and a 2-year-old. I don't want them to grow up and say daddy was at work all day and never got an opportunity to spend time. So people who know me know sometimes I have my kids with me at events. Uh, I'm taking vacations with my family. On some weekends, I've got off. I used to be on 19 boards and committees. Wow. I got off all of them except for three. And it was really my wife who challenged me to say, Mike, man, you're spending like 50 hours a month outside of your work at Boys and Girls Clubs on all these committees and all these boards. Yeah, and, I got off I, and I think that's important for people who are listening and watching right now. Because what happens is when you're in Madison, if you're the one few person of color, they try to get you into all these different right, boards. Right. And then what happens is you can't be efficient or effective in these right, boards. Right. Then they start going behind you and saying, well, that person's always late or they can't help. That's right, that's right. So it's a trap. So I, I think with people, what you're saying is kind of scale back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scale back, focus, and empower other leaders. So I've gotten smarter at that. And then I think about from a health perspective, right? So a lot of times you'll see I've tried it, whether it's biking at 4.30 in the morning, or I've tried everything, and I, and I, haven't, I haven't done well at that, and so I gotta get better. Uh, but you got I, a gym here now. I got a gym that I put inside the boy that one of our donors paid for, and, uh, and so it's doing stuff like a gym in both of our boys and girls clubs, so making sure that you take time with family and take time for yourself. Uh, I've also tried to empower other leaders. Most of the people who have been in leadership roles here gone on and done great things. I have two leaders who now work at the Madison School District. One's an executive director. One's the director of the Abbott program. My former COO is the president. I'm on the board of Captain and Family Charities. He's the president of that foundation. I've had other people move on to colleges and universities and leadership roles. So people have utilized Boys and Girls as a training ground to support kids and have advanced their careers um, in the process, which I fully, fully um, support. When I first got here, I had no choice but to be here all the time. Some days I would be, I would spend a night inside the Tap Street Boys and Girls Club. That building, if anybody remember what that building looked like seven years ago, it was dark, it was gloomy, it was ugly. It looked like a bag of Skittles. It had 18, 19 different colors throughout the building. It smelled like Kentucky Fried Chicken on steroids with deep fried. <laughs> Every single thing you walk in there today, it looks like a country club for kids. And so uh, there was a lot of issues that we had to address. So I had to put in the time and, uh, and then people stepped up. But now that I have a little bit more staff, I'm not working 80 hours a week anymore. It's still probably about 60. At some point, I'm hoping it'll go down to 40. And, uh, and I just think there's a balance when you empower other people, you build infrastructure, you can have a quality of life where you can spend quality time with your family and get involved in other initiatives. So I'm one of the founders of Focus Interruption Coalition, who was instrumental in, 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 in lobbying the mayor and the city council to support a $3 million plan to target violence prevention initiatives in the city of Madison. 
just this week, uh, I worked with a coalition of leaders in Fitchburg to advocate for more funding to support at-risk families in the city of Fitchburg. We have done that with other leaders in this community. Uh, and so I've worked with a variety of different groups and have tried to utilize some of my skills to support other leaders, but at the same time learn from them and then support one another. Last question. Yeah. If someone's coming in here from outside of Madison, a person of color who's coming in in your, your world, yeah. executive type of thing, um, what would what advice would you tell them to kind of get into Madison? Uh, don't join too many boards right away. Uh, get to know people. Uh, stay focused on your work, and I would say networking was critical. My first ninety days, I met with almost four hundred people. Uh, I wanted to meet with people. I wanted to understand what the issues were in this community because Madison. It's not Philadelphia, it's not St. Louis, it's not Chicago. So I wasn't gonna come into the city pretending like I knew what the hell I was doing. So I picked up so much intelligence. I just simply had a coffee with people, having focus groups, understanding what the issues were. And it was really a good springboard that helped me through our strategic planning process. Thank you for your time, MJ. Anything else you want to leave us with? I think you got it. Bro. MJ, Thanks, choose man. one, anyone. Appreciate Jordan, you, Jackson. Man. Appreciate it. Wow, that was quick. <laughs>